everybody out there. It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we go into all the various places, people, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away, one topic at a time. I'm Mac. I'm one of your hosts here, and I'm joined by my f- the scum to my villainy, Ross. That's really good. Is was that, that a good Bosk? I was to say that was Trandoshan. I don't know. I'm if, not. I, I, I might have to bleep out what you said there, though. That's, that's I don't know. I, I'm crass. not. I, you know, I didn't go back and listen for reference, but uh, Bosk has that good hiss to his uh, his one line in Empire does. that I like. So, so he's you his know. one line. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I love to see the subtitle. Just go find that audio clip of Bosk in Empire Strikes Back and just put it there. So it's perfect. I'll I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try. <laughs> All right, perfect. I do like the uh, idea of that being like one of those great foreign language jokes, though. He's just like asking, like, "Do you validate parking?" But he's just going hiss. <laughs> Yeah, and as as those imperial officers just look at him like, what the heck is this animal doing here? And he's just tapping his toe there going like, I'm waiting for you to validate my parking. <laughs> I'm not paying for it. <laughs> so today we're talking about Bosk. Among other things. We're also talking about IG-88. We're also talking about Forlom. We're also talking about Zuckus. And we're talking about Dengar. Not in that order. Not at all. But we're going to spend another like 10, 15, I don't know how many minutes, 10 to 15 minutes is what we're aiming for uh, with each one of these great characters. Basically everyone from that scene on the executor except Boba Fett. Yeah, because you know, Boba Fett, he takes a lot of work to talk about all of his story. We already talked about part of it. We talked about one chunk of it. And eventually we'll talk about another. But there's so much more in this galaxy to talk about. Well, you probably won't make it around to Bubba Fett for a little while. Well, the big ones we got to break down. But the cool thing about this is this is going to be re- relatively light and breezy, which is why we're going to cover all the four of them. Five of them. Five. Sorry, five, five of, them. of them. All the five of them in this episode. Mm-hmm. And Max, so, you know, this is an audio medium, but I do have all of the Black Series here. Yeah, I know you brought them as props, uh, so we can have them that. for reference you know so as we're talking about bosk or as you're talking about bosk i can just sit here and make hissing sounds with my toy right again uh-huh. just pointing at an imperial officer again yelling about parking or or, or what's the catering for this <laughs> event <laughs> all right well i know i'm sure ready to talk some forlom so let's do it i was gonna say yeah and just to let you know <laughs> This is self-indulgent. I appreciate me doing this. I love Tales of the Bounty Hunters, a, a Legends novel, which is kind of the heart of my Star Wars. And this is me just telling you everything that's no longer canon and the very little parts of things that are canon now. Yeah, we will keep this canon focused. We won't yeah. go into all of the Legends material, but you know, we'll give you a little bit of an idea of where these characters were starting off. Where they came from. Before they were uh, decanonized and then recanonized. It's going to be fun and I hope you're going to enjoy it. So just stick through this next little break and we will get to it. So, Mac, do you love Dengar? I kind of do. Is, is Dengar your favorite bounty hunter of all time? Uh, no, I think Boba Fett still edges him out. But isn't that kind of his story? <laughs> well, I mean, to me, Dengar is just this weird turban guy in the background. Uh, you know, I, Dengar is not a, a character that comes to mind a lot. But, you know, Dengar, besides Boba Fett, may have the most canon content. Um, he's up there. 
Bosk has a lot too. We'll, we'll get to that. Bosk has a lot. Yeah. Um. So, so what? My, is, what is it you love about this? So, this guy. <laughs> okay. So I already mentioned this at the top. Uh, I'll probably mention it four more times as we go through each one of these. Um, my love of Star Wars. It's not beginning, but it, it crystallizes in um, the anthology Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, I love that book to death. Um, and I am fearful of I plan on rereading it this year and I'm scared. Um, I hope it's still good. We'll see. Um, but but uh, the thing about it was um, Dengar, I thought, had a really, really cool story. Now, one of my favorite character archetypes is the person who's kicked down by life mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm, lot mm-hmm. and somehow continues to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I, I just, that type of character is my favorite is the person who for every reason should give up. Like wherewithal is one of the best things you can give a character to make me like them. So basically a character who once they have been beaten down by life does not go to the dark side, but instead keeps persevering. They just keep going in whatever way they want. I mean, that's why like, I love Die Hard. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies is because John McClane is a character who should have given up multiple times in the movie, but can't. He just keeps pushing forward. And in Dengar's original story, Legends, he was like this swoop bike racer who Han Solo screwed over. He got his body completely destroyed, had it replaced by cybernetics, and found a way to function as a you know, a kind of rickety cyborg man. None of that's canon anymore, huh? Oh, uh, no, especially <laughs> not the other part, which is Dengar also in original Legends was the character who pulled uh, Boba Fett out of the Sarlacc pit and helped heal him, which led to uh, Dengar, who found a, a person to actually fall in love with. He actually has a really? full ship. Boba Fett's his best man. Wow, I don't remember any of that. No, so that that's all that's all stuff that's old legends. Because the weird thing about Dengar is he is in canon now, like all the bounty hunters. Their roles have been shrunk down a lot more because there's no there's no tales of the bounty hunter. There's no big dump of information of them into new canon. Although I do think we will get some of that. I think we're gonna start seeing a lot of the things you really like from legends get plastered back in. I mean, we've already seen a lot of it, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think Disney has been doing it at a really nice pace. I think we've been getting characters back in ways that are fun and and exciting. I think we've been seeing uh, plot points that people like brought back in, but slightly tweaked to make them new and fresh and unique from Legends. So I've been pretty confident in what they've been doing. And the nice thing is we have seen all of these characters in one form or another now in new canon. So, yes, far. they all exist, which I was actually worried about that. They might only exist as they were on the executor. Uh, I'm sorry, the executor when uh, Vader called the bounty hunters and uh, that's it. That's all they've done in canon. <laughs> um, so, some are close to that. Yeah, it's not um, far but off. Dengar is kind of special because Dengar is definitely super duper canon. And one of the things that's funny about him is he is so far canon. He has a voice. So, with all of these bounty hunters that we're going to be doing, since Dengar's our first here, we should just say that most of the material for them comes from one of a couple of places. It either comes from the, uh, essentially, the ultimate guides. The ultimate guides are kind of like the reference books for Star Wars that are uh, spanning across characters, ships, planets, items, that sort of thing. Right. Then there's also the, kind of the book in... format of what we're trying to accomplish yeah, here in audio. Essentially, right? And a new one comes out typically after or right before a new movie. 
Yeah, whenever there's a new ushering in of canon. Yeah, there'll be an updated updated. version. Now, I should say that a lot of our sources for today, I have the version that came out uh, right after The Force Awakens. Okay. So I don't have one that is super duper up to date. There has been a new one since. Actually, I think two, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, because uh, the new one just came out. Yeah, there w- there is a new one that just came out. So I will be getting a new updated version soon here. So a lot of our sources, uh, I was able to go and verify on the actual paper, but some of them I'm just going oh, off you're... of Wikipedia here. So just no, as a good. heads up. Uh, so Dengar from Karelia, the home of Han Solo, Wedge Antilles, uh and as we know now Kira. from, from uh, Solo, Space Detroit. Yep. Yep. Uh, very much so. The, the dirtiest of the core worlds. I mean, it's kind of funny that Corellia... You, you, you well, taking a stab at Detroit here, Mac? Uh, you trying to alienate our Detroit no, no, listeners? No, no, no. People in Detroit know that their city has a bad reputation. And in some level, I think they kind of like it because they're like, we can only go up from there. I've only been to Detroit once. But uh, I could tell you, driving there was uh, the, one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. You and I both know one person from Detroit, and they have great pride around Detroit. They don't have reason for having great pride, maybe other than the Red Wings. But in general, like, <laughs> I mean, what I mean by that is when Solo came out, like, we always knew Corellia was Space Detroit in the sense of it was the shipbuilding mecca. It was the place where the fastest hunk of junks of galaxy in the galaxy were built. The only difference is they went all the way that they built Imperial ships. They were building all the TIE fighters and Star Destroyers. They were part of the Imperial War Machine by the time of that. And so it definitely feels like they get really industrialized and get... I mean, we we see Solo and um, Kira grow up in a slum, yeah, which is not far away from the capital city's primary port. Yeah. So... Obviously, the whole planet can't be great if that's a, if that's a thing. That- <laughs> well, as we see a little bit in uh, Empire's End, in more mm. of the, or I'm sorry, not Empire's End, Resistance Reborn. Oh, okay. Uh, as we see in Resistance Reborn, that uh, by the age of the First Order, uh, it's still a you know holdout for the First Order. You know, they're very much mm-hmm. in control. Uh, and they're still using it for means of production, but there is also a very um, shall we say, affluent uh, Mm. part of the population. So we have seen a little bit of both sides of it now in canon, Okay, which is kind of nice because, I mean, as you expect with any planet, as The Last Jedi kind of tells us, that is involved in war profiteering, right? You do expect there to be some, uh, shall we say, some fancy cats, some high rollers. Good guys, bad guys, they're all the same guys. (laughs) Um. So back to our subject. So Dengar is originally from Corellia. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that they established that's very different about him is, am I correct in saying that the Clone Wars episode he appears in is his first chronological? Yeah, essentially, um, the uh, the only thing that I could find about Dengar before that, you know, Clone Wars appearances is that he was a gladiator before yes, he became a bounty hunter. Uh, so could you imagine this uh, this head wrapped individual? All I could ever think of is that robot chicken episode where someone calls it a diaper. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I can ever think of when I look at Dengar now. Well, it's kind of funny because you can't tell, like, is the costume supposed to be that way or just didn't fit the actor right? It definitely feels very crooked. And 
the way that I got it contextualized because of like Tales of the Bounty Hunters was it's cybernetics and it's not great because he was, you know, this is a guy who basically rolled a car and got crushed in it, essentially, is, yeah. or a terrible motorcycle accident, however you want to read yeah. it. And so, like, well, why is his head at a funny angle? Because that's the only angle it would all still work at. Like, he's that busted up. Hey, maybe one day we'll find out that he uh, has cybernetics from injuries in a gladiator pit. Who knows? And again, that might be that. Again, they set him up to be rough and tumble that way. <laughs> um, so we see him working with a Kreitz Claw, Boba Fett's uh, bounty hunter gang in the Clone yep. Wars, right? Which consisted of Boba Fett, Bosk, Lots Razi, C21, and Oakhead. Mm -hmm. And later for a brief time, Asajj Ventress. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dengar and Asal's Ventress. So in uh, season four of Clone Wars in episode 20 titled Bounty, we see that uh, this group of bounty hunters was hired to escort a tram and its cargo. Yeah. And Ventress basically forces her way into the group by killing Oked and taking his place. Yeah. And uh, then basically betrays them. Yeah. But Dengar, you know, being Dengar, survives. Well, the thing that's funny about Dengar is you set up Dengar as way more of a cad than he, you know, I guess ever had enough character time to do because mm -hmm. like he hits on Asajj Ventress like straight up. <laughs> yes. He um, it doesn't work, by the way. No, it doesn't. No, doesn't work. No, Only no. one uh, fallen Jedi can win her heart. Oh, um, but it, it, it's interesting because he's he's really, really cocky. And um, and he, again, he has a voice because he's Simon Pegg, right? Yeah, so uh, new Scotty himself, uh, your friend and mine from uh, the Sean of Sean of the Dead, <laughs> uh, is the voice of everyone's favorite plucky bounty hunter, Dengar. And that should just show you how important Dengar is. Him and Ankar Plutt are internally the same man. Oh my man. gosh, yeah, I, f I kind of forgot that. Yeah. that. yeah. Wait, wait, what if Dengar becomes... <gasps> they both sort of have that same frame. That's what they, they do. Both sort yeah, of... That's what they do in uh, Dengar, yeah. that inflation stuff. Don't what look that up on... Dengar's wrappings and armor is just kind of like a... It's like holding... A, it's, yeah, it's, it's holding it all wrap. in. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big it's like a corset. Wrap. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I could see it. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Um, anything else interesting happen in that episode that I'm forgetting? Well, like I said, he gets thrown off a train and somehow doesn't die, which is kind of like... His story. Classic is, Dengar. Is Dengar not dying. <laughs> I, you know, we need some more Dengar in canon. I, I like him because the one thing that I found funny about him is why he, um, I've always been surprised he doesn't do much. He's a human. You can write him to say normal human lines and words and stuff. Like, he seems like a much more yeah. easy to tap character to do interesting yeah. things with because unlike the other characters, he's not particularly inhuman. <laughs> but, um... Not a whole lot else happens with him. Well, he does show up in a few, a few other bits. instances here. So how about in uh, season five of The Clone Wars, episode 14, Eminence? Uh, just rewatch this one so I have a little bit oh, of a yeah. better memory of it. Uh, so uh, when basically Maul and Savage Press and uh, uh, Pre Vizsla go to the huts, Dengar is uh, there and uh, basically tries to fight them, but it... it doesn't go so well, you know, because it's well, two force users and a Mando. Well, I would say, I, I don't know if it goes poorly. He survives. <laughs> the Dengar way. <laughs> I was just say, I think if you fight two, you know, you, like you said, Jedi, you and you survive, good on you. <laughs> good on you. Fair enough. Uh, okay. He also makes an appearance in Star Wars issue 10, 
which uh, yes. would have been, let's see, this would have been back 2015, I think, is when that would have come out. I mean, that's sure, so early in the ago. run. Yeah. So uh, he has a little bit of an encounter with Han Solo. Basically, he runs into 3PO and uh, Chewbacca on Narshada and basically is trying to get 3PO to tell him Solo's location. Solo sneaks up from behind and stuns him. And, well, you know, Dengar survives. That's what he does. Because he does that, not capture Solo. Because that brings us to his most important beat in all of Star Wars, which is where he originates, which is that cool lineup on mm-hmm. the Executor. Before that, he's also hired to go after Dr. Aphra. Uh, yeah, so I... It's some, he's part of a crew when he goes after Dr. Afro, though, right? Yeah, it's not just him. Yeah, it's not yeah, like it's among not other Dengar story. No, 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 not yeah. a no, no. There's not that oh. much Dengar. Uh, no, not that much Dengar. Except the um, maybe the most we actually see of Dengar is in uh, the aftermath trilogy, where mm-hmm. he does have a few story beats. Now, primarily most of it, if I remember correctly, is in the second two books. There's very little in uh, the first Aftermath book. But essentially, without getting... We'd really have to go deep into some of who those characters are to really uh, go into it. But essentially, he has an encounter with Mercurial Swift, who's another bounty hunter, who he is then basically hired to uh, go after Joss Emery, who's working with the New Republic, trying to take down Grand Admiral Sloan, who is currently leading the uh, the remnants of the Empire yeah, that will later become the First Order, whole thing. It's it's pretty much like kind of like you said, that scene where he's in Java's palace. It's basically, hey, it's a crew of bounty hunters. We're talking mostly about other bounty hunters, but Dengar's here to give it some teeth Yeah, to remind you that, like, these aren't amateurs. It's attracting the attention of the best bounty hunters in the galaxy. Yeah. Now, by the end of the whole arc, basically, uh, Dengar is convinced by Emery to let them essentially go, and they're able to escape. And then she gets uh, Dengar to be pardoned by the New Republic and giving him a reward so he does not continue to pursue the bounty on her head. Yeah. So basically, Dengar, uh, more than almost any of our other characters, has shown up across all mediums. He's shown up in cartoons, shown up in comics, he's shown up in novels. And of course, the movie. Yeah, 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 his all important his all important role in Empire Strikes Back. Yes, and as we found when we watched the four by three things, he can still be seen, even <laughs> in the uh, pan and scan old VHS copies. You could still see Dengar. Yeah, Dengar at still makes it, unlike some of his cohorts. I say Zuckus and Forlom were not uh, uh, Zuckus and uh, IG Eight are not as lucky. No, they don't survive the cut as well. No, but uh, no, I like I said, I liked. I liked what Dengar was because I'm always obsessed. I like cyborg characters. I like people who have wherewithal. And the one thing that those, some of his appearances legend did was they humanized him. He's not really that in current canon. He's he's pretty much a very successful thug in current canon. And that's okay. He's still neat. And he's, and he's got a look. Whether you like it or not, the diaper on the head, he's got a look. He does. He does. He's got, you know, he's got that bulk, that heft. And Let you I, know he means business. And I like the fact that like um, Boba Fett, he's got cool armor. Even, you know, he looks like a guy who's ready to take take some names and, and deal with some people. Um, and and yeah, it's like a Michelin man in armor. But still, I do I do think he's got an interesting look. And there's a reason that scene sparked so many imaginations, including mine. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I'd like to see more Dengar. Me too. Me too. Perfect. So Dengar, if you're out there, if you're listening. Come back into some stories. Stop on by. Yeah, we'd love to talk. Have some coffee. Yeah, Simon Peg, you want to come back to Star Wars? 
I'd probably prefer Dengar over Ungar Pluck. Could you imagine it. Simon Pegg dressed up in Dengar's outfit? Yes. That'd be fun. That That's not that hard. I could see him doing that. <laughs> He'd have to shave, I guess. Uh, they could CGI when, when out find, his beard. I say, when do we find What's Dengar? What's our budget? Well, hey, no. Dengar's had a rough time. He grew a beard. You know. I mean, we're not going to uh, bring back the actor who played Dengar in Empire with CGI, are we? Why not? <laughs> we're bringing everybody else back from the dead. No one will remember what he looks like, so oh. you wouldn't be able to. He's got a kind of like he's got a boxer's nose. I remember he kind of got like a beat up nose. <laughs> I like Dengar. All but right, let's talk about somebody else. Yeah, let's move on to another hunter. I think, therefore, I am. It's kind of the story of artificial intelligence in Star Wars. We're talking about IG-88, a bounty hunter droid who's mostly famous for, at least for a very long time, being considered the only droid in Star Wars that was truly sentient. Whether it's legends or canon, that's both a thing. Is the second IG-8 was switched on, he thought, therefore I am. I don't have to listen to you people. I was built with one purpose. Murder him. I'll kill everyone who created me. And he did. Yeah. So created in Holowan Laboratories, soon as he's turned on, just goes on a murder rampage, right? Just kills everybody. Now, I want to ask you something about this, Mac. Sure. You know so much more about bounty hunters than I do. It's kind of my thing. So tell me this. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, he was the first IG model. Uh-huh. Canonized by Sideshow Collectibles. Yeah, I saw that too. So what is that about? Because I looked for other sources, tried to find other information, so and everything I found linked back to, yep, Sideshow canonized this. So, okay, so ground rules. So in the original telling of everything, this comes from Tales of the Bounty Hunters, where we explain that IG-88, when he was switched on, he went around and killed everyone who created him out of just... Uh, they kind of just sum it up as, because they could destroy him, they created him, which means they could destroy him. And as a brand new living being, his first mission is survival. And he survives the way he knows how, which is to assassinate people, because he's an assassin droid. And then it's summed up that there's another IG unit, IG-79, I think, or something like that, who he basically respects as, oh, you're your own thing. You're not sentient like I am, but I'll leave you alone. And then he makes three additional copies of himself out of the spare parts. And mm. that's where the story goes on. At some point, that got recanonized, at least the part where he wakes up and kills everybody. And he's produced by Hollow and Labs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the Sideshow Collectibles, when I dug into it, it's basically that Sideshow Collectibles usually come with inserts mm-hmm. that kind of describe what you're getting with this collectible. So it was just kind of like, if you would, the back of the action figure box, but on a much grander scale. Yeah, and I guess the idea is scale. because that was approved by Lucasfilm licensing in the new era, it by default isn't just marketing copy because it was inside the box. It counts apparently apparently hey we're gonna go with it i mean it makes sense that he's the first i guess other than his number right why isn't he ig1 well i feel the easiest way to sum this up is he's the first of his kind and that could refer to him being sentient or that could refer to him as the first manufactured i don't think that makes sense because of everything that's happened since yeah um what i mean by that is so ig88 was you know, this cool assassin droid, this super tall cappuccino machine of death. 
um, that you could only see most of him in the pan and scan version of the original VHS tapes. He's literally cut out and he's also behind everyone on two stairs down because he's that tall because he's like (laughs) seven feet tall or something like that. Um, And the thing with IG-88 is people liked his design. He was so interesting because he's so just functional. He doesn't look really human at all. He's got this giant tall head. Mm -hmm, His mm -hmm. arms are basically just sticks. (laughs) Like he, he's so skeletal and he's like, you can kind of see, um, if you took the Terminator, which is the idea of a skeletal robot man, and just kind of throw all the human recognizable parts, you end up with IG-88. He's very, very surreal looking. And I think that inspired a lot of people. And that came out of, you know, the normal design team. And so they ended up when they went back to the prequels and when we went through the Clone Wars and stuff, they started copying that design like a bunch. Um, specifically the biggest thing in Canon is the IG 100s, the Magna guards, which are in episode three, those are IG assassin droid models. And it's like, well, if they're assassin droid, so what, when was IG 88 built? If he's the first, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, the Magna guards are more advanced than him because they're IG 100s and he's an IG 88. And I don't know. It is very confusing. Uh, I think the short answer is we don't know. It's. Oh, no, in think- canon, it's it's purposely vague, right? Because we really only have him in one canon source. Now, I do want to point out very quickly, he does show up in Forces of Destiny uh, alongside Hondo and Kira and Leia. Uh, you know, there are a few little shorts with him in it. Um, yeah, a lot of our research ended up with talking about uh, uh, Forces of Destiny and also Star Wars Adventures, which we're not really discrediting as canon but they're for very young audiences so i feel that they're kind of loosey-goosey and yeah i, I mean I don't, well, I don't think it'll stop in the way of anyone writing over them in a future novel yeah or something they're, more they're, well they are what they're meant to be they're meant to be fun for, quick little adventures yeah and do they really play into the overall story no but who who knows something interesting can come out of them right 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 and, right? and they're great they're great for their audience oh awesome. absolutely they serve a very specific purpose and i think they do it extraordinarily well uh but now he does have one kind of new canon appearance yeah. in the age of rebellion special issue that is basically three short stories, one with IG-88, one with Yoda, and one with uh, Porkins and Biggs. Yay! So uh, I have only read the IG-88 story because I read it today to prepare for this. this Prepare for this. Uh, I haven't read any of those other Age of comics other than the Gwygon one, which I read for another episode. Although so far, they have all been very good. Mm -hmm. All the ones I've read. I have the, the Age of... Whatever it is. The Age of... Republic Villains one, which has a Count Dooku story, but I haven't read it yet, so I got to get to that. But there are a couple of interesting things in this issue titled The Long Game. Okay. One, one of the very first things that we see IG-88 do, because most of the story is told through voiceover, you know, because IG-88 yeah. isn't talking a lot. But he has this one particular line of like, to kill is reward enough. Yes. And I thought that just really purpose per- perfectly encapsulates what IG-88 is. His job is just, he just wants to murder things. Well, he wants to serve his programming. He was built as an assassin droid. He likes assassinating because that's what his purpose is. And even in sentience, he's just like, this is what I'm good at. I'm going to fulfill my destiny. I'm going to be the best me I can be. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to get into it, but if you ever get a chance to read, uh, I think therefore I am, 
it's ridiculous what he did in Legends. Like, long story short, and there's some rumors that, like, I read some stuff that said, like, well, technically in canon, he's in this. I'm like, no, he's not. Technically in canon, he dies in um, at uh, Hoth, where another bounty hunter catches up with him as he's trying to steal the bounty from, from Boba Fett. But he gets killed, which is why you see an IG-88 being destroyed by the Ugnaughts when they're trying to collect the parts for C-3PO. Yeah. Not, not Hoth, Bespin. Oh, I'm sorry, Bespin. You yeah, said Hoth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Bespin. Ugh. That's okay. Um, Same movie. Close. Um, and there's also rumors that he was in, he integrated with the supercomputer of episode uh, 6's, you know, uh, Death Star 2. Yeah. Well, that's all referencing the original, I think, Therefore I Am story, where there were four copies of him to explain all the inconsistencies of why the prop department just kept throwing this prop all <laughs> over Star Wars. Um but it's kind of like things have come sort of into canon, but they're not. Like I said, when Shy Show Collectibles insert is the most authoritative piece of canon for IGD8, yeah. you can tell that it's very rickety back here. It's like basically said, the, the comic book. I mean, that's basically all we've gotten at this point. Yeah, because all the other IG stuff is other IG units. You have RG, IGRM, which is these big, bulky thug droids that Visago has in uh, Rebels. You have the sentry droids, these kind of crazy wild moving through this uh, cargo hold in the episodes from uh, Clone Wars. Um, you have the Magna mm-hmm. Guards, like I mentioned. Um, and then probably the most famous version of IG's legacy now is IG-11 in The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. I mean, in a day, right? Yeah. In one episode, that became the most popular IG droid. I think even more so than IG-88. Yeah, because basically he's a nice IG-88. Like... When you read the stories, like, that's how I've always imagined IG-88 fought. Because they talked about the fact that IG-88 doesn't have a front. His front and his back are the same. He mm-hmm. can shoot before or shoot mm-hmm. backwards because mm-hmm. he doesn't, he's not, um, he's not asymmetrical that way. And they just, oh man, that fight in the first episode of Mandalorian is just such a delight and such a fun thing. And like when he comes over, like, to, um the Mandalorian and there's that dead body and he doesn't even walk over it. He just swivels his hips around it because <laughs> his left leg and right leg can be interchangeable. Yeah. Like that inhuman quality to him, I think is what people have always been sort of like intrigued by IG-8 of mm-hmm. like a killing machine, which, yeah. and when you put it in the context of like now in the clone wars, we fought it all against robots. Like IG-8 is like, he's an evil, more evil robot than all the robots. The uh, Confederacy had. yeah that's true way more effective right yep now if ig11 ever comes back in the mando and says roger roger then he'll really just be the perfect droid won't he he'll cover all the bases (laughs) everything we could need i have yet to see him though in canon have they used the blades because ig88 carries around those those are they vibra blades i don't know um probably vibra blades yeah he's he's got he's got melee weapons yeah. as well as Has, Does guns. he use them in the Clone Wars at all? Well, again, IG-88 is not in the Clone Wars, just the IG... Oh, other, right, the, uh, right. Sorry, sorry. IG-86 sent- Sentinel droids. I Do think we see called. them at all? Uh, they were mostly fighting with their hands. They were, okay. like, grabbing and punching more than... Uh, a lot of other things. And then the Magna Guards, we do see an IG unit yeah. that is definitely using melee weapons. Right. I'm about uh, like said, 45 episodes into my Clone Wars rewatch right now, so I haven't gotten to some of that yet. Yeah, I mean, I mean GDA has been almost removed from canon. And if it wasn't for that sideshow collectibles, like you said, it'd be just this little blip in the comic books where we're like, here he is, he likes to kill. Moving on. 
Uh, I love IGD8. Uh, I think he's very interesting. Um, I he's one of the few Black Series figures I I could be convinced to buy. The only problem I've heard from you is you need to get a stand for him. He does not stand. Yeah, on his he own. does not stand. Uh, something about the IG11 figure though stands a little bit better. Oh. They've changed. They've tightened up the joints or something. Well, he's a newer model with a lower <laughs> model number. I'm not here to make sense of all this. Okay. I don't think anyone is here to make sense of all this. No. All right, you ready to talk about another hunter? Let's go. Let's do it. Star Wars is for everyone. Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people, let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all, and it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders, that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. going to talk about boss can i really just have one question and we can wrap up this topic quick oh wow this will be fast do you like him better when he hisses or when he talks hisses hisses you don't like him speaking basic it's not so much that i don't like him speaking basic it's just the fact that his basic is very good <laughs> like he's very well spoken <laughs> like it, he doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like uh d bradley baker's voice which he did a fine job performing it but it feels like that's D. Bradley Baker in, in a lizard suit, not a lizard man talking with that big old maw of his. Yeah, I, I get it. I want more like he he's a little too similar to like Kirk Connors in the 90s animated Spider-Man. <laughs> and you want him to be a little bit more unique, not just adding S's well, on the end of every word. I think the thing about it is like, I don't think it was a bad idea to have him speak basic. Like, yes, Trend Trendoshans had it. No one thought they spoke basic in, in Legends until now they do in, yeah. when they have that hunting episode where they've got, like, the good old boys hunting on their pl reserve planet. We found out that, oh, well, the Trandoshans apparently speak basic and they're a little uh, backwoods, <laughs> at least some of them. Uh, but when Boss comes out, like, it's really cool, but he talks a lot. Like, he carries conversations like a main character in a way that's like... I, I thought all those cool guys yeah. on the executor were just real soft-spoken and didn't talk much. Now's as good a place to say this as any. I really wish more of these new Star Wars aliens were subtitled. Yeah. A la Jabba. Like, uh, for example, Lady Proxima in Solo. Yeah. Like, why is that not an alien? You know, why is that basic? Uh, Moloch, her sidekick, her second, her right hand, is subtitled. Why is Lady Proxima this, like... 
you know, that's it the kind just, of thing. I, so I don't know. That, that kind of stuff is, I haven't liked as much. My suspicion is people in writer's room winning arguments about the fact of if it's a character that carries the dialogue, they don't want it to be subtitled. Like, subtitles yeah. should be left for mi- more minor characters. And I go, I kind of understand it because, like, as much as it sounds weird, you don't want to alienate people who maybe don't have great reading or English is their second language if they're here in the United States or go through the work of translating the actual text when you take it around the world. But it all worked in the 80s. I don't see why we yeah, can't do it Yeah, I mean, any – like, don't get me wrong. It's easier, right? Yeah. I'm sure there is some evidence well, see, or some is, numbers somewhere about how modern audiences it's probably don't that. want it. But The thing that stinks about it is like, you know. say it's easier, but like Lady Proxima has to be lip-synced. That's harder. She has to go then be lip-synced in other languages. That's harder. When she just goes, Una mano, una mano. Like she could just she could like Greedo with a little snoodle just going up and down and like that's what he was saying. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to make sense. Yeah. Um so again, back to Bosk. It's kind of weird he talks <laughs> as much as he does because he's sort of like, I don't know, like Boba Fett's uncle in this in Clone Wars. Very much like a godfather almost, yeah. right? So I mean we know Bosk is Trandoshan. We know he is the son of Krudosk, who was also a bounty hunter. Yeah. Good, good, some good boss some info good, there. Some good Trandoshan names. Yeah. Uh, he has a YV-666 light freighter called the Houndstooth, which is a cool name. Dude, the Better hound... than the, the, the mist, hound... misty mist that we'll mist talk Walker? about later. Mi- mist, whatever, whatever Zuckus flies. I think it's the mist walker. No, it's a, well, we'll get there. I haven't looked it up, but. We'll get there. I have it. Um, but the point of the matter is like, uh, <laughs> well, and all of this again is crystallized from tales of the bounty hunters where bosk has his houndstooth his incredibly weird lopsided uh spaceship which is in the great canon of starships where well that doesn't make sense yeah but it's flying i don't know um <laughs> and i like the fact that he um he retains the kind of hunterness to him like mm-hmm. he comes from a culture of hunters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that for Bosk, yeah, he needs a payday to keep all the supplies going, but he's kind of more there for the game. He's kind of there for the sport of what manhunting is. Yes, yes. I mean, he is, uh, shall we say, well, I mean, part of this comes from the fact that he's just more developed than most of our other bounty That's hunters. True. But he does have sort of that prideful nature, uh, you know, of of what he's doing is rooted in tradition and uh, and you can see you that know. like he's fine with deferring to like a thirteen year old like because you know he doesn't he's like we'll get through I don't care like I I don't leadership doesn't matter to me I'm here for the hunt yeah so. well in the Clone Wars we do see him a couple of times yep uh, at one point he is captured by Ahsoka yep and ends up in prison where he becomes a bodyguard to Boba Fett which is great it is right they have sort of a, a father son relationship. Yeah, to a degree. Uh, right, right. That that definite uh, uh, sort of assumed father role that we're seeing, we see in Star Wars a lot. Yeah. Um, after they escape from prison, he joins the Kreitz Claw with Boba Fett, which is his, you know, gang, basically, Boba's gang. And uh, eventually they go on that mission that we talked about earlier with Asajj Ventress and Dengar and yeah, we'll C-21. Yeah, so we talked about that earlier in Dengar, but he was there as well. One thing that's interesting about Bosk is he makes a, a little appearance in the Dark Disciple novel, which is one of yeah. now our earliest canon novels. Basically, it's a story that 
feeds off of that other story we talked about from the Clone Wars in Dengar's segment, uh, where they're you know uh, us escorting the cargo on the the subtram. But basically, uh, Ventress comes back to that group of bounty hunters, including Boba and Bosk, and asks them to help her rescue Quinlan Voss, who she has essentially become a partner to from uh, Count Dooku after he seduces him to the dark side. Great novel, by the way. If you love Clone Wars, if you love the Jedi, if you love Ventress, if you love Dooku, that novel has one of the coolest lightsaber fights on the page. (laughs) Like, there's just this scene of, like, spoilers for Dark Disciple, a four-year-old novel now. But there's just this awesome scene depicted of, like, this lightsaber battle on a balcony with fireworks happening in the background. Like, just this really, really kind of unique vision um, that we haven't seen on film yet. So really, really cool book. Highly, uh, highly recommend it. So, Mac... Yes. Our prequel era boss. Anything else you want to add about him before we get to some of his later works? Again, not really. Like I said, he's definitely the person who picks up for Django and teaches Boba Fett's the ways of bounty hunting, and it's kind of cool that mm-hmm. there's that connection. So he does have another mention in film in Solo, where Val says to Beckett, "Oh, that's right. Hey, you know, we should have gotten Bosk or the Zan sisters, not that's this true. Han and Chewie group." Right. I love that. Bosk is like world renowned and Beckett is obviously, you know, a big deal as well. So we assume by association Val and Rio are too, you know, that whole crew. And so the fact that they're like, hey, Bosk is pretty cool. (laughs) I mean, that's a great moment (laughs) in Star Wars film. And another reason why Solo is awesome. We also have another book, a young reader book called Uh Ezra's Gamble, which has Bosk being guided around Lothal by Ezra. Like huh. the whole book, like the whole book is a Bosk Ezra book. It's wow. like a hundred pages and it's like a young reader book. I haven't read it, but, huh. uh, uh, you know, cause some of that, once you get beyond the young adult novels, yeah, the stability of, is it can and is it not? I think becomes a little more wishy-washy. Um, so that's yeah, when I, I, I have <laughs> to be blunt. The lower the age range, the less likely the percentage of canon is. <laughs> to a certain extent, yeah. I think that's very, very fair way to put it. Like, um, Not to say there's not good content there, because no, no, honestly, no, no, no. I'm going to find this Bosk book. I'm going to get Ezra's Gamble and read it. You need uh, to know. Because I want to know more about Bosk and canon. But, you know, I mean, we have him in the Clone Wars. Uh, we know that he's fully established. I mean, he was mentioned in a new film a year ago. So, you know, Bosk is a thing. And we'll get more Bosk, hopefully. Agreed. Mac, boss design is really interesting, too, because he's this cool reptile man wearing a space suit. And this is, I think, one of the most well-known pieces of behind-the-scenes material. But one, uh, since I happen to remember it, and I don't remember much of this kind of stuff, thought I'd mention, his suit is recycled from a 66 Doctor Who episode. Oh, like the, you mean the lizard parts? No, no, no. The space suit. The space suit? Everything he's wearing is from a Doctor Who episode. Are you serious? I'm very serious, yeah. I thought it was just a leftover X-Wing thing that they t- they, they got a yellow jumpsuit instead of an orange one. No, it huh. is a it is a suit that is from a, um, I think the British military, some sort of pilot type suit okay. that was used in a Doctor Who episode in 66, and it's recycled from that. Wow. Put on a lizard man. <laughs> That's wild. Because like I said, I thought they just like when you look at the the lineup of the bounty hunters, it feels like, okay, the prop department has a week. Put this together. Um, (laughs) And that's why like some characters like, you know, Forlom's basically a C-3PO with a different head and a different colorization. And 
and you know Boba Fett's design, but that's because he's a character. Yeah, IG-88 is a broom handle and a coffee maker, if I remember correctly, something like that. Yeah, he's mostly a cappuccino machine, which that's I love. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, even even Dengar is like like his front breastplate is obviously a snowtrooper like mold that's been re repurposed. Yeah. So to know, th- okay, first off, I'm not surprised it was repurposed. I'm just surprised it wasn't. I just assumed it was X-wing pilot stuff. Like I thought it was from the Hoth. They just uh, take this one, throw it in the wash long enough that the or the red bleeds out of the orange. It'll be yellow. It'll count. <laughs> Well, that's who wild. knows? Maybe that's I don't know enough to have an opinion or to know, but maybe that's where some of the X-Wing costumes came from as well. I was maybe they say, had a whole I Doctor mean, Who warehouse. It makes sense because, I mean, the thing that that's nice about those flight gear is they're probably based on real ones because they look legit. They look like they've mm-hmm. got the right dangly bits here and there that would make it. When you see an X-Wing pilot, you don't think of like a costume. You think of that looks like the gear you need to fly in an X-Wing. Yes. Like that control panel probably controls your breathing and stuff. That's important. Right. Because <laughs> um, the TIE fighter pilots have them, too. They must be important. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. But and apparently not essential. Apparently not. Because we've seen other characters fly ships without them. So which is weird. Yeah. Hope well, they hope they don't get into an emergency and need their emergency stuff. I mean, yeah. Um, and the thing I also think about Bosk's design that's really cool is he's not your normal lizard dude. Some of the things I like about him is like, I like his arms are ridiculously long. Like he's got, um, you know, his long, his, his hands come all the way down to like his kneecaps and he's got a much more humanish face. Like his snout is not that deep. It's just kind of a little, just, you know, maw yeah. that comes out of the front of him and he's got big, big nostrils and cool orangey red eyes. And he's just a neat design. He is. He really is. He is, um, well, he, he's very, um, shall we say, unique. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he's very unique to Star Wars. He's recognizable, I think. And, uh, well, you know, hopefully more boss and, to come. And I wanted to say one shout out to uh, Bonnie Burden, who, if you don't know, Bonnie Burden was, um, she was a senior editor for a bunch of stuff going on at Star Wars, but she was also like the senior uh, social media runner for Lucasfilm from like 2003 to like 2012. Hmm. And she kept putting Bosk stuff up. Because she loves Bosk. Bosk is, is her favorite character in Star Wars. And it's not a secret that Bosk is in the Clone Wars because she really wanted to see Bosk. And that a lot of Bosk mer- merchandise was greenlit that might not have otherwise been greenlit if there wasn't someone in Lucasfilm advocating, we need more Bosk. <laughs> um, and I find that just this delightful thing that there's just this one super fan. Well, that- if you're that employee in Lucasfilm who loves Kitster, and needs more Kitster. Start ringing up the higher ups. Okay, say, it, it's time to, to pipe up. And if you need some support, yeah. we'll get a change.org petition or something together <laughs> to make you feel better. We'll create a hashtag. Yeah, get some more Kitster. Oh, Give us Kitster, you cowards. Um, but the interesting thing about Boss, the last thing I'll say before we leave him is he's interesting and unlike all of other characters, he really stops at Empire, like. Him getting to the, uh, you know, the executor and being hired is the end of his story. There's, there's for no, now. For, I say there's nothing in canon, so it's like there's yeah. no way Bosk is over. Where you're definitely yeah. going to see more Bosk from here on out because it's episode five. What does he do in the aftermath of the New Republic? I need to know. Maybe the Mandalorian might tell us. I would love that. Me too. All right. Well, until Bosk comes back, let's move on to Zuckus.
that Zuckus is one of the first members of his entire species to ever leave their homeworld? Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is kind of crazy. I mean, he had a really good career as a finesman going. He did. He was one of the best. That's why one planet can contain his skill. He needed to go further. He was better than Gand. He's the best Gand. All right. So if you <laughs> we were talking about Zuckus. I love um, Zuckus. Max, uh, shall we say, most odd love out of the bounty hunters. Well, Zuckus is yeah. a Gand from the planet Gand, and yep. he had the traditional role of a finesman, which basically means he's a tracker. Yes. And this is something that had historic roots on Gan. This is very uh, a traditional sort of an honorable role to have. And as the tradition yeah. started dying out, he needed to leave the planet to find more work. Yeah. In, in Legends, you would have more called it like a sheriff or if you're familiar with like the Magi from like ancient Egypt. It's it's kind of that like arranging justice guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Gand is an odd world on the outer rim. Uh, yep. And. Zuckus can't survive out in space uh, the way he can on Gan because he doesn't have enough ammonia mixed in with his oxygen. That's so right. that's why he wears the breathing mask wonderful, to pump in some fresh ammonia. Wonderful, delicious, non-toxic to humans ammonia. <laughs> um, so just to say, this is one of the reasons I got into Gan when I was reading his stories and tales of the bounty hunter. The idea that he didn't breathe our atmosphere that is probably the first time I understood that concept, which has been through sci-fi all over the place. Yeah. But he's the first character I read as a boy who I got, oh, wow. So, like, if you cut that hose, he dies. Yeah. He's so brave. Like, he's, like, in a spacesuit all the time. That's rough. <laughs> you know, we need more Zuckus in canon so we can see that become a foil for him. Well, now I want to know what's underneath that suit because that's just a mask. It's not yeah. a space. Yeah. He he can look beautiful under there. We'll never know. It's interesting because it's got that fleshy look other than the eyes and the mouth hole. Yeah, the 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 mastication hole there. <laughs> so we've got Zuckus. Now, uh, Zuckus really has not had a lot in canon, poor Ooh. guy. Uh, he works with Forlom on the Miss Hunter. He appears, uh, his ship, the Miss Hunter. He appears a little bit in uh, Star Wars Adventures. Um, he fills the ship with gases to remind him of his home world. And as far as I could tell, his only canon appearance is in Darth Vader number 16, where he is also one of the bounty hunters hired to track down Dr. Afra. Also, in episode five, Empire Strikes Back yeah. on the ship at the Executor. Also one of the characters that's mostly cut out of frame in the original VHS. <laughs> Um, he's kind of an interesting looking, uh, dude. He, he's very, very bulky. He's kind of the opposite of, uh, Bosk in the sense of he's got kind of like little puny hands. His arms are kind of short. Yeah. He only has three him. fingers. Yep. And one of them's a thumb. So really, you it's, know, it's just, again, much like Bosk, he's just working with what God gave him, you know? Um, and he's got this, he, you know what he looks like? He looks like a giant Jawa. Like he's got the brown robes with some of like the like the multiple layers covering over, and then he's got that that hip pack where his uh, breath is getting attached to his face mask. He's he's an interesting. What looking a dude. weird dude! What a weird. I'm just looking at this Zuckus figure. Oh here yeah, you in have the black series here. You're like, yeah, I. Uh, man, what a guy! What a guy Zuckus is. Um, 
And in the original canon, all they really did was they just set him up as um, being a a nomadic person from a nomadic people, and that it was a huge thing that he left his planet, and it was just kind of working on the fact that between his atmosphere and the fact that most people can't breathe it, the fact that he only can interact in the ways that he can, it kind of established that he became you know friends and bounty hunting partners with Forlom simply because, well, Forlom's a droid, so droid doesn't care what the atmosphere is and one of the few people that he could actually start in any way forming a relationship with and then the other thing they established with Zuckus is he's weird like he's very alien and hard for us as like a human audience to really understand mm-hmm. some of what's going on with him in a way that was like cool and mysterious but um but yeah he's not much in canon there's one Yet. big thing I do want to say about that Zuckus that is very important to me is I see you have your black series figure yeah I want my Lego. He's the only one of the bounty hunters you can't get as a Lego yet. They haven't made a minifig of Zuck? They have not made a minifig of Zuck. They even had this great little set that was like the bounty hunters like mission pack, which was what brought Forlom into an official yeah, uh, figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they didn't bring Zuck because they're like, Zuck. Eh. Oh, my God. You've been saying Zuck this whole time. I'm like, what if Mark Zuckerberg's underneath there? I was just going to ask, has there been a Zuckerberg Lego? Have they done like a Facebook HQ that was like a Comic Con exclusive? Was that count? Can I put him in the lineup? Uh, you might be. I was just going to say as an alternative. Um, but it is one of the big misses uh, for for Lego. He's one of the most important characters. I mean, he exists in the video games because the video games tapped every resource and yeah. every Star Wars character that exists. And it's not like uh, you know, Zuckus or Lego is unaware that uh, minifigs aren't popular. Oh, I mean, they, they know they know people want him. They know there's a desire. And I'm not the only one who collects anything with like the Fab Five there, like getting all the bounty hunters in a lineup. I'll keep buying yeah. merch with all of them in it. Because so I'm when dumb. are you getting your Black Series? Uh, I'm close. I mean, after you made me break down and I actually have this little Mando collection, I'm like, you know, it looked right nice behind that. My own problem is I get that lifestyle of getting like, you know, like the standee with the foot pegs yeah, to make IG eighty eight stand. It's 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 a whole thing. It's a pain. Degar is very top heavy too, by the way. It's a lifestyle and I'm not sure I'm ready to join it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's save the Black Series talk for when we eventually do an episode on that. And okay. uh, let's move on to some four loam. Yeah. Loam, lom. So to round up this wonderful rogues gallery of villains, we're going to talk about for Lom. You know, Lom is an interesting uh, droid because he's got the body of C-3PO, yep. but the head of a bug monster. Bee? I, I don't know. Uh, uh, honeycomb. <gasps> bug monster. Bug monster. All right. Bug monster it is. So uh, for Lom, uh, He's part of the LOM series protocol droid made by Industrial Automation. Which, just for fun facts, um, Cybot Galactica is who made C-3PO. Okay, Darth Vader made C-3PO. But before Darth Vader put together C-3PO, his parts were made by Cybot Galactica. And the whole thing is Industrial Automation is the people that make most of the Astromechs. They're behind, like, the R2 line. And so this was the idea was they were looking for niche markets where like C-3PO droids didn't fit. 
And so they're like, well, there's these uh, there's these insectoid people. They don't have translator droids. We could sell those protocol droids. And that's the whole thing is it is literally like a a knockoff version of C-3PO for a underdevelopment B-tier market. Wow. In Legends. I'm assuming right. that's still canon in a well, weird backwards way. So here's what we have in canon. He was originally assigned to a luxury liner. Yep. Uh, but after some logic glitches and personality corruption, he was able to override and rewrite his programming. Basically, he became sentient in a way. Sapient. Um, yep. Basically, he was able to make choices that influenced the way his programming was rewritten, essentially. Yeah, he basically got control of rewriting his programming. It's not necessarily inferred to be the same sentience as like an IG-88, but it's yeah. the idea of he's self-determining. Now, his reputation as a criminal and eventually a bounty hunter came from being able to anticipate his opponent's moves. Yeah. You know, basically knowing like C-3PO does, the odds of, you know, survival, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, basically the odds of success. And okay, because of that, my opponent will probably choose to do this. And because of that, I can interpret what they're going to do. And uh, just a very, you know, computational yeah, the, way of thinking. The way it was written in the Tales of the Bounty Hunter was think about it like when you watch the Robert Downey Jr. Um, opening to like Sherlock Holmes, where he's like, all right, left punch, dodge right, right, discombobulate. Like that's how like Forlom's thinking was written is like he is just seeing this has to happen, then that has to happen, then this has to happen. And just like you said, predicting the odds, which was cool writing. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I agree. I was surprised how much. Forlom's story is kind of fleshed out a little bit um, mm -hmm. compared to some of these other guys because you just don't expect it. Yeah. Now, Mac, do you remember the droid gotcha at all? Have you read about the droid gotcha Yeah, it's an at entire all? criminal syndicate made of droids. Basically, droids that have become, well, once again, not self-aware, but like Forlom, are able to choose what they want to do or uh, choose how they're going to act. Basically, to go against the people that who program them. Right. Now, this group is probably most heavily shown in the novel Most Wanted, which is a Han Solo Kira prequel novel that takes place on Corellia. Yep. But basically, there is another droid that Han is friends with who lets him know about the Gatra. They're all kind of, it's one of the many syndicates after this object that you know Han and Kira have um, but essentially the the Gatra uses Forlom's story to prove that droids can do what they want essentially um, now industrial automation tried to bury that story for PR reasons <laughs> but then it was later believed that Forlom was reprogrammed by the Gatra to essentially be a symbol for them was it I remember the Gatra first showing up because of Tarkin they talk about like battle droids that are part of the Gatra no, there's a little uprising. He's quelching with. He's like, is that connected to the Gatra? The Gatra? No, I don't think so. Like, yes, first, first appearing in Tarkin, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, and it comes up in some other. It shows up. It's actually been popping up all over. It's in Last Shot as well. Uh, it's a little bit of a, a bigger thing in there. So it's popping up in multiple sources. And it makes sense when you have that many droids working for that long over such a long period of time during the Clone Wars mm -hmm. and the Dark Times. And they're spread all across the galaxy. It makes sense that you can write a bunch of them going rogue and banding together. Yeah. Especially yeah. in they're all murder droids. One of the things that we've really seen a lot of in this new canon and why droids have such different personalities. Yeah. 
is that it comes from a mix of things. It comes from them not essentially being reset, you know, not yeah. having their memories wiped often enough. It can come from bad programming or bad reprogramming. So like with K2SO, we see his, you know, weird personality is because he was a, you know, Imperial droid that Cassian reprogrammed literally in the middle of a firefight. And yeah. so that's why his programming is so odd. Uh, so, you know, th- they're finding ways to, uh, who shall we say, give them personalities without making them sentient, I guess. Well, you get the idea that they, we've learned a lot about machine learning since, uh, you know, the 70s. Um, and I think they're kind of rolling with that. If you have this personality that's set when you're built, and then you keep creating pathways from that to be more efficient, more um, good, better skilled at what you're trying to accomplish. And over enough long period enough time, that starts becoming completely distinct personality and skill sets. Yeah, yeah. And I think the place it got really weird, like really weird, is um, IG-11 in The Mandalorian, where we see when he was his entire neural harness is destroyed and has to be rewired from scratch. He can't be programmed. He has to be taught like a child. He has to actually go through doing the process over and over and over again to learn new pathways. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, that's kind of a strange idea. And and it makes it makes droids feel maybe a little bit more like beings. The mm-hmm. fact that you could ever teach a droid in that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is like really interesting. And I mean, we're talking about that because other than Forlom eventually hooking up with Zuckus, there's just basically the things we already mentioned about Zuckus, because basically where Zuckus is, Forlom is, and well, there you go. <laughs> Bug face guys gotta stick together. I'm really hoping that by this time next year we'll get back together because there'll be a new canon canonized novel like Tales of the Bounty Hunter that just talks about all of them. It feels like it's ripe for that, especially after Solo's sort of like really opened up what the underworld looks like. And there's uh what's that new novel that's bringing Prince Shizor back into Canon? Um, uh, it's, it's upcoming. Um, what? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. This oh, is news to me. Oh, I read about it. There's some, there's some, uh, I can't remember what this is crazy. You sent it to me like yesterday. Oh, that's not new. That's a legends novel. Oh, well, then it makes a million more sense. I thought I thought that was canon. Like, oh, well, someone really likes shadows and wants it all to be canon again. Oh, no, no, no. That was the legends. I was sending you the so behind the scenes. I just sent oh, no, no, Mac. No, no. I, I, I marked it. <laughs> a, a picture of uh, of the legends novel uh, Shadow Games, which includes a little bit of Zizor and uh, Dash Rendar. OK, yeah. No, see, I thought that was a new one. I thought you were sending me a new canon. No, 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 no. That was just I was no. just like basically the, the idea of sending it to you was like, huh. Legends was kind of weird, right? Because that book is all about like this like pop star who like hires Dash Rendar to be her bodyguard because she had this abusive husband who was in line with she's or whole thing. I haven't read it yet. Um, as I go through my Legends reread this year, I don't think I'll make it quite that far into the timeline. Maybe until next year. But uh, I picked it up the other day at a bookstore and sent Mac a picture of it because it was one I never uh, have read. Legends, huh? But remember, Legends had like 30 years. We'll get there eventually in canon. We'll we get will, to the weird we will stuff. We'll dirty this thing up and make it dingy just like Legends was. We'll get back to putting calf 
and Corellia or no Coruscant today, the morning show that the senators have to. Oh God, it, it got too real. It just got too bogged down in not being magical and being our world. And I don't need to go to our world. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. If you want to give me all kinds of weird, crazy books, make it happen. Make it happen. Give me as much canon material as we can. Oh, real quick, just uh, so you know, um, apparently, according according to the Wikipedia, Shizor is technically in canon. Where does he appear? Is he in that? He's not in that episode where Maul kills everyone, is he? Apparently, the action fleet figure is part of the uh, Moss Espa <laughs> Stadium. What? <laughs> he's technically on film in episode one. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So, all right, I'm going to bookmark that. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me, you're telling me that with all those colored Q-tips. Yes. During the pod race. Yes. That there is the Gizor action fleet. At least the same size. I don't know if it's literally that. I mean, that's exactly what it looks like to me as someone who owned that. Wow. 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 Okay. Yeah. Micro machine. Oh, it's the micro machine toy figure of Shizor was used as a stand-in for members of the crowd. We have really gotten off a of Forlom here. Yep. <laughs> Forlom, he's a robot with a bug for a face. Let's come back in a year and talk about bounty hunters I again. Let's see if can. there's some more. I hope we can. Could you imagine if Han had left Chewie down in that pit? My god, no. No, no, right? Han needed to rescue Chewie to feel fulfilled in his life. Well, there's another thing I want to talk to you about when it comes to rescuing, and that's shelter pets. Mm. Every shelter pet is unique. Some love a game of fetch. Others love a good snuggle on the couch. Chewie loves Robin trains. There's one thing, though, that they all have in common, and that's their all pure love. You know, right now, millions of pets are in shelters and rescues across the country waiting to be adopted. Did you know that only 44% of dogs and only 47% of cats in America come from animal shelters and rescue groups? You know what's interesting, Mac, is we adopted our two cats. And I'll tell you, these two cats, we've had them about five years now. They were about five when we adopted them. They're about 10 now. They have been the best thing. They have their own little Star Wars collars. It's great. Ugh. My two cats, Peach and Daisy, also came from a shelter, and I wouldn't have it any other way. If you're thinking about getting a pet this holiday season, make sure to visit the shelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, Maddie's Fund, and the Humane Society of the United States. Alright friend, let's bring this one home. We have uh, talked about the core bounty hunters, the, the most famous of the five bounty hunters we've seen. I mean, we got a lot of bounty That is like definitely one of those scenes that's, you know, shipped a thousand imaginations considering how much the bounty hunter character is a central figure in Star Wars now. It's the thing that makes Star Wars so cool and I think so long lasting mm -hmm. is the complexities of the sets and the backgrounds and the characters who have no lines. I oh, mean, yeah. out of the five bounty hunters, Boba Fett has like eight words and Bosk has a hisk and that's and, it. 
And there's an alternate cut where Dengar had the no disintegration said, okay, like, so total, like, but they're so interesting looking. You want to know it. it, Yeah. The bounty hunters are for empire strikes back. The cantina scene. Here's some interesting people. I don't know what their stories are, but they're probably cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we wanted them to be right. Like think about IG 88 and shadows of the empire. Oh, yeah. Right. Everything we knew about him, it felt like at the time, came from that. At yeah. least to me, it did as a no, little No, it did. Kid. And that, that's where that IG-11 stuff comes from is, I mean, that fight, IG-88 moves fast. Terrifyingly fast. fast. Yeah. Terrifyingly fast. Uh, and it's just, it it's the legend more than the actual deeds of these characters that I think makes them ring so true to fans. And hopefully, like we said, we've seen Bosk a lot more in canon. Obviously, we've seen Boba Fett. And eventually, we'll see more of these characters, I think. And I would say, I think as a Legends novel, Tales of the Bounty Hunters still holds up. Um, it's still interesting. And the cool thing about it being an anthology is... All the stories are very different. So each one of the five stories has a very different kind of feel and take to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So it's a good bang for your buck for the uh, for the money. And if you like that type of storytelling, those sort of short little increments, uh, it is a great book. Highly recommend it. If you want something similar in canon, there's not a bounty hunter book, but there is the Aliens Volume 1, right. Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away book, that has, I think, five or six different stories that are honestly all a ton of fun. Yeah. And uh, absolutely worth reading and, if you like that sort of little short get in, get out segment. And man, I, I kind of like I like the novels we have. I don't want to lose the novels we have, but I would like to see a little bit more throwback to those anthologies because like I like that book. And I also really like From a Certain Point of View, which is a yeah. whole anthology, all those stories. Yeah. And it's just it's because you get short easy to read stories that give you more perspective on something. And then you just keep shifting perspectives and just keep seeing different facets from different directions. And I cherish those legend books, you know, tales of the Mossad of Cantina tales of the new Republic tales of the empire. I loved that stuff. Well, you know, it's 2020 now really hoping we get from a certain point of view too. Oh, empire Uh, edition. Yeah. Oh, Uh, I hope so. Tell me how great that would be. That would be so amazing. Yeah. So hopefully, Here's yeah. hoping that well, uh, we're going to get that. I can't wait, man. We're, we're, 2020, I think, is going to be a good year for Star Wars. And I just think it's because it's it's really open. There's a lot of space for products mm-hmm. and things to fill in. But it's funny because we say that, right? But we have a new season of a TV show in like a month and a half. Right. Then we have another new season of a TV show the end of the year. Who knows? There could be a new animated show the end of this year replacing Resistance, right. too. So, like... It's open, but we also have a new Thrawn book exploring outside the galaxy coming up. Yeah, we have the second book in the Shadow in uh, the Alphabet Squadron uh, trilogy of books. So it's funny. We have a lot of Star Wars content coming this year, mm-hmm. but there's also so much to look forward to and so much to speculate about because we don't know what is Project Luminous. What is these new movies going to be? And yeah. hopefully... We'll find all that out very soon. I mean, we have heard that January is when they're going to announce some of these things. And last I checked, it's January. Yeah, because so, well, I'm excited to get to Celebration. I hope that Delray doesn't wait till then to unwrap some of their good stuff because that's like August. I'm really hoping that we'll hear about it now. Yeah. Like, what are the new oh. films about? What is Project Luminous? But then we'll actually get details in Celebration because my guess is... Project Luminous doesn't come out this year, or if it does, it's not till the end of the year. Sure. It's more we're going to hear about what it is 
and then get those details. And it's probably more of a 2021 thing. But who knows? I could be wrong. It could be nothing. It could be all this buildup for nothing. It's exciting. You never know. Whatever it is, it's exciting. And Claudia Gray's involved. It can't be nothing. Oh, it's got to be something. It's got to be something. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us as we uh, reminisce about bounty hunters, uh, some longer than others. Um, But (laughs) kind of an interesting thing. I think it's just so strange that I have such an emotional attachment to these characters and their canon stories are fairly muted unless you're Bosk. Um, (laughs) Like Bosk has more in canon than he did in Legends, and that is the reverse for all the other characters. Yeah. that's exciting because, like we said, there's more future to come. There's more places to go. We can always keep revisiting these characters, and I hope we do. I hope we do. Me too, Mac. I'm becoming more of a bounty hunter fan thanks to you. Oh, all right. Well, and the Mandalorian. Well, the Mandalorian helps, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went Mandalorian solo. Like, just, just give me more of that space oh, underworld. God. Solo was awesome, wasn't it? It was really good, and it started all this off. It was great. Can we do like just a solo watch along episode? Uh, I maybe. just want to watch We still solo. keep threatening Patreon this year, so maybe. All right, all right, all right. Let's see what happens. But we won't know f- till the future. But I know one thing. Next Wednesday, we'll see you again for another episode of Star Wars All In. And until then, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.